Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Pastored by Reverend Gary Dereshinsky, New Hope Chapel is located in Arnold, Maryland. You can find us on the web at www.newhopechapel.org. Now here's Pastor Gary Dereshinsky with today's message. Talking about missions, you know, you can pray for Mary Lou and I, and you can support us too as we uh, head to the West Coast to do ministry and missions out in Los Angeles among, uh, among the Jewish people. So, you know, things are changing in terms of our, in our focus. On one hand, uh, we'll be pastoring a body of people there, but on the other hand, we'll be mobilizing them to reach out uh, to the Jewish community there. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, Los Angeles is the second largest Jewish community in the country. There's about 600,000 Jews in Los Angeles. When you consider the Annapolis area, there's about, greater Annapolis is about 3,000 Jewish people here. And of course, New York is the largest community where there's about 3 million. So we're praying as the Lord continues to lead us and as we um, get closer and closer to that date, we certainly do appreciate your prayers. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Over the last few weeks... <clears throat> I have been focusing in on some ideas that I've had on my mind that I wanted to leave you with regarding uh, the process as you look for and as God brings to you a new pastor. We looked at the account of the transfiguration. And when we looked at that passage, I tried to focus on the idea that we ought to remember Jesus is preeminent. Uh, in our lives, and certainly in this process. And that prayer ought to be a priority, because the reason they went up on the mountain was for the purpose of prayer. And then they saw Jesus transfigured in all of his glory. So there's a need to see the preeminence of Christ, recognize that and embrace him, and also the need to prioritize prayer as a means to uh, experiencing him in all of his glory. Then we looked at Matthew chapter 11, one of the most beautiful and certainly poignant passages in all of Scripture, certainly in all the Gospels, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I suggested that we remember that we are ones that need to come Thank you, Kay. (laughs) That we are ones, I was wondering where you were coming up, I didn't even do an altar call yet. (laughs) That we are ones, and then you know the spirit is moving, right? You know, sort of like. But then, uh, so remember that uh, Jesus invites us to come to him, to learn from him, and to find rest in him. And uh, so as you go through the process, uh, you're going to want, again, to come to the Lord as he leads and guides and find your rest in him as he brings individuals here and as you uh, begin to evaluate whom does the Lord have for the next phase of ministry here at New Hope. Then we took a look at the upper room account where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And uh, we saw an incredible analogy that Jesus provides in how he serves the disciples. He said, if I, your master, am willing to serve you by washing your feet, certainly you ought to serve one another. And I made a comparison between Jesus' rising up uh, and putting on a garment, taking off the garments that he was wearing, putting on a garment, 
in preparation to wash their feet. And then he kneeled and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he rose up and joined them again at the Seder. And I sort of connected that to the passage in Philippians where we learn that Paul speaks about the Lord Jesus who was God and very God and, and uh, how he disrobed himself of his divine uh, presence, you might say, and uh, took upon himself uh, the form of a servant, took upon himself humanity, and he serves humanity by giving of his life and pours out himself for us, even as he poured out the water and washed their feet. If the Lord Jesus was willing to go to that, those depths of servanthood, we want to serve one another, especially in this process. And so in serving, we want to listen to one another. We want to help one another. We want to give to one another. We want to reach out and bear one another's burdens, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. And we want to be an agent for restoration. And as individuals are brought here, we want to pray that God will open our hearts and minds to that one that the Lord has for this body and for the ministry that will continue. Today I'd like us to take a look at Matthew chapter 28. And these are among Jesus' last words. We refer to them as the Great Commission. I want to focus on one word that appears four times in the Greek scriptures. In verse 16 we read, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So four times in Jesus' commission and statement to the disciples, he uses the word all. He says, first of all, all authority has been given unto him. Then if you look at verse 19, he says, make disciples of all nations. Then if you look at verse 20, he says, teaching them to obey everything. But in the Greek, it says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then he says, and surely I'm with you always. But in the Greek it says, surely I'm with you all the days to the very end of the age. So we get these four words, this one word used four times uh, that speaks of the universal nature of the calling that the Lord has given to each one of us. Take a look first of all at the first all in verse uh, 18. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given unto to me. By making this statement, Jesus is making a claim to being God, right? Because if all authority is given unto him, and all authority that is found in heaven and on earth, that means he is equal to all authority that is embodied in God himself. Because the only one who has all authority is God. And thus, if Jesus also has all authority, he is God come in the flesh. And that's why earlier it says that when Jesus appeared, they worshipped him. Some doubted, some still needed to learn more about their master, but all of them worshipped. And what's interesting is that wherever we read in Scripture where individuals worship one who is not worthy of worship, particularly angels, sometimes in the book of Revelation, John is so moved 
by what an angel reveals to him, he bows down and begins to kneel before the angel. And the angel is very quick to say, no, 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 get up, because I'm a servant just like you. Worship only the Lord. And I think the angels are very quick to remind those who might bow before them not to bow to them, but only to God, because the angels are first-hand witnesses of what happened to those angels who did bow before another, namely those that bowed before Satan, and thus fell or rebelled against God with him. They know firsthand as to what has transpired among those angels who, like those who have not rebelled against God, were created in the image of God and were holy and righteous angels, servants of God, they know what has happened to those who have bowed and worshipped the evil one and thus worshipped a false god. So those angels, when, when those good angels have individuals bow before them in a posture of worship, they're very quick to say, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing. And that's because we're sometimes blinded to the realities of what has happened in the past. But the Lord Jesus is God, come in the flesh. And the disciples bow before Him and worship Him. And notice He says, all authority has been given unto Him. There are different words in the Greek for power and authority. For example, in Romans 1.16 it says, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that word power is the Greek word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that word. It means that it has the ability to do something. The gospel has the powerful, awesome ability to transform individuals from sons and daughters of darkness to sons and daughters of light. It has the amazing ability to take individuals who are dead in trespasses and sins, as Paul says in Ephesians, and make us alive unto the living God. It is like the breath of God that breathed upon the dirt that God had molded and w upon which He breathed and it became a living being. A nefesh chaya, a living being. And the Lord continues to do that. You remember in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel is shown a valley of dry bones and he is asked, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know and the next thing we read is how the Spirit of God breathed on those bones and they began to take on flesh and sinew and muscles and they came to life and stood a great army before the Lord. Deuteronomist speaks of the power to do something, the ability to perform an amazing task with amazing results. Another word for power that's oftentimes used in the Bible is the word kratos. It's a word that denotes power without the right to have it. For example, Herod the Great could have been spoken of as a great and powerful man, as the king of the Jews, but he was not, he did not have the right to be Israel's king, though he was so appointed by the Roman authorities. But the word that's used here is the word exousia, which means the authority and the right to bear that authority. So when Jesus stands and he says, all power and authority has been given unto me, he is also saying in that same breath, and I am the only one worthy of this power, and it is right for me to have such authority. And thus when the disciples heard that, they must have responded, then we must listen to what the Lord has to say. For all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. 
And now he's granting us or he's commanding us with a great commission for service. So our Lord is the one who pronounces to us to go. And it is our Lord who does so embodying full right and authority and with the power to lead and empower us to accomplish whatever task it is as we go. Now, as many have said, of course, the commandment is to baptize and make disciples. The word go, of course, is a participle. As you are going, as you are conducting your life, remember we are servants of the Lord. And in that capacity, we have two obligations. That is to baptize and to teach. Ultimately, to make disciples. And he tells us, secondly, not only does he have all authority so that we must obey him, but secondly, he says, we are to make disciples by teaching and baptizing. We are to make disciples of all nations. And thus the Lord Jesus is concerned not with the welfare only of Israel, but the welfare of all peoples throughout the world. And so it is marvelous that in our day and age, perhaps for the first time in history, it's really possible to reach the four corners of our earth. When one considers the internet, and as we have developed the Christianity is Jewish website, we were just flabbergasted when we first saw that people were listening to these broadcasts, reading whatever articles we had submitted and placed online from all over the world. And ultimately, I think last time we counted with some 34 different nations, Arab nations, as well as uh, nations like Russia, as well as Australia and European nations, Israel and Africa, and among all the continents, people have responded and have seen. And so now, for the first time, we have the opportunity truly to make disciples of all nations. It is remarkable, and it's wonderful that, Emily, you're back and that you have been safe. And I suppose we think of it all, how dangerous it is, and perhaps when you were there, hey, everything is fine. You know, it's sort of like when people uh, are contemplating, should we go to visit Israel? You know, it's, there's, you never know what may happen. And people come back and they say, gee, it was, you know, I felt so safe there. And that's the way missionaries feel as well in other parts of the world. Yeah, there's always danger. And it's not just be, by doing uh, the work of the Lord and bringing the gospel to uh, whatever people groups we may be sharing the message with. We can go anywhere and it's a dangerous world that we live in. But God watches over us and he cares for us. When Joel was headed down to Africa, and when he first told us, he's going to Uganda, my mind, and Tebi. You know, that's the first thing that came into my mind. And you remember when the plane was hijacked, and they kept all the Jews on, on, the, on the plane, let all the non-Jews go, and then some Israeli commandos at night and so on rescued them. I said to Joel, Joel, don't tell them your name. You know, use Tony. Tell them you're Tony D. You know, but don't say you're Joel Asher Derashinsky. You know, don't say that. Just say you're Tony D, you know, and leave it at that. But he had no problems, you know. And then in the flight, he had more problems with the animals than with the ter terrorist gorillas, right? Because <laughs> it was a little joke. Boy, that one, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. Okay, please delete that from the tape. He did encounter gorillas out there, right? And he was like within 10 feet of them. And when I called Uganda to talk to Joel, I got one of the guys that uh, oversees the volunteers. 
and I'm talking with him on the phone. And he said, who are you? Who? And I said, Gary Dershins. I'm Joel's dad. And I'm trying not to talk with my Jersey accent, but it was really tough. I said, I'm Joel's dad. He said, Joel, Joel's a very brave man. <laughs> I said, I said uh-oh, what stupid thing did he do? You know? And then he went on to tell me about his near encounter with the gorillas. You know, he's a very brave man. So I don't know. But in any case, on his way home, Joel had to stop off in Somalia, I think it was, or Libya, Ethiopia, and then from Ethiopia to Dubai. I'll tell you, there were moments I was really concerned about going through all those countries. But God watched over him and those that traveled with him, and there were no problems. And he had a marvelous time. Boy, some of the videos of the worship are just thrilling. We need to bring that in and show you because the way that these folks dance in worship and the percussion and the music was really pretty out of sight. But then I think of the Hellwigs that are down in Nigeria. And even if problems, you know, external problems aren't there, they're dealing with AIDS and HIV victims. You have to worry about that, you know, that you're really watching yourself and taking care so as... uh, not to be contaminated by something that is in uh, Africa. And um, so there are a lot of dangers. But the Lord calls us, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And so it's marvelous when God calls and when God leads and when individuals like Emily or the Helwigs and others and the Schultzes in Turkey uh, go and respond and say, we, we, we want to be a part of that. And of course, churches that give sacrificially to support them are also undergirding them with their prayers and with their finances to make it possible. So the Lord reminds us, number one, all authority is His. Number two, His concern is for all of the world. The disciples may have thought, this is a Jewish thing. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and it is a Jewish thing. But it wasn't meant to be exclusively for the Jews only, that God's concern was for the whole world. When he called Abraham out of Ur, the Chaldeans, he said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. When God called Jonah as one of his prophets, he sends him to Nineveh to bring the good news among uh, the Assyrians. God is concerned with all people that they might know him. And we need to be mindful of that calling. So on the one hand, all authority is given unto the Messiah and He, in turn, shares that authority with us that we would go into all the world and proclaim the good news of our Savior and to teach them and to instruct them and to lead them uh, to a place of faith. He then tells us in verse 20 that we are to teach them all that He has instructed them with. In fact, Jesus said to them that when he would go, he would send the Holy Spirit who would remind them of all things he has taught them. And so here, to me, the Bible becomes very critical in our, ought to be very critical in our life. We need to be ones who are diligently immersing ourselves in God's word every day, looking at the word, reading the word, pondering its meaning, studying the word, and seeking to apply its truths, even when it seems difficult or uh, illogical, we are to seek the word of God. Because what he tells us is, teach them to obey everything I have 
commanded you. The tendency is to teach individuals the thoughts we have about God's word. Nothing wrong with sharing our thoughts and our our ideas, but ultimately we need to get at the root of what God's word is about and make sure it's communicated faithfully. We need to teach about the grace of God, how much he loves humanity, and how much he loves his world and seeks to redeem it and to embrace it and to restore it to what he originally intended it to be. We need to teach and proclaim the love of God, that he loves us. The scripture says that we love him because he first and foremost loved us. He tells us, Deuteronomy 6, 4, many say the most important verse in all the Bible, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and Jesus adds strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How many times in the New Testament does Paul tell us to be ones who love one another and bear one another's burdens? We are to so love because God has such great love for his creation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So when we teach all things that the Lord has commanded us, we want to teach about the grace of God. We want to teach about the love of God. We want to teach about the spirit of God, whom he said he would send as a comforter, as a guide, as a teacher, as an empowering presence in our midst. One who would fill us with the very presence of God. One who would seal us unto the day of redemption so that we have great sense of security in our Lord and a great sense of self-worth because he has sealed us by his own spirit. We need to teach about the redemptive grace of God, that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. And so therefore, we need to follow him. And being so purchased by the blood of the Savior suggests to us that we are critically valuable in God's eyes and in God's heart. That he would go to such depths and to such lengths in order to win us unto himself is utterly mind-boggling. And yet the Lord tells us he wants us to teach all the things that the Lord has commanded us. He has taught about his return. And he has said there's going to come a time when the next time the Lord would be seen would be in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory accompanied by all the angelic hosts. The Lord is coming again. Time is short. And his return can be at any moment. And that's what theologians mean when they speak of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. At any moment, that trumpet can sound. At any moment, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with him forever. And therefore, we are to comfort one another with these words. What we experience here is not all we will be experiencing. There's a day coming when the Lord will return and establish his kingdom and call us to be with him forevermore. 
There are myriad of things that one can reflect upon, but these aspects of Scripture need to be taught, and the Word of God needs to be held in highest esteem as we seek to obey the Lord's great commission. And so he says, first of all, all authority is given unto me. Second of all, he says, with that authority that I now share with you, you are to go among all peoples and make me known unto them. In Acts chapter 1, you remember the words that Jesus tells to his disciples, you are to be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And here, we need to be witnesses to all nations, starting here in Arnold and reaching out to the Pakistans, Pakistanis, to the Nigerians, to the Turks, and to the Jews as we seek to bring the good news wherever there are people who need to hear it. And then the Lord now tells us, and when we bring that news, we are to teach all the things the Lord has taught. And that means we need to learn them first ourselves. And then he concludes by saying this, and surely, certainly, no doubt about this, I am with you all days to the very end of the age. What's neat about this phrase is the last phrase, right, in the book of Matthew. When one turns to the opening chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, it is there, and it's only in Matthew's Gospel, that we learn that when the Messiah was born, he would be called, they make reference to Isaiah 7.14, right? When they say, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So when the gospel opens, it opens with the prophecy of Isaiah, speaking of the birth of the Savior, and speaking of this Hebrew title that he would hold, namely the one who would be God with us. And now as Matthew closes the gospel, he focuses on that God with us-ness with which he opened the gospel. And the Lord says, I will be with you unto the end of the age, the one who has all authority given unto him. In other words, Jesus will be God with us as we seek to bring the good news to all nations and to teach all peoples of the things the Lord has commanded us. We lead them to faith, and thus they are baptized. We bring them into a place of discipleship, and thus they are taught the things of God. And you say, well, how can we do all of this? And the Lord says, you can do all of this because surely I will be with you even unto the end of days and the end of the age. That to me is the great comfort that comes in these verses. And I realize Mary Lou and I are leaving and there's a sadness in that. And also perhaps a little bit of fear. We haven't yet gone. But when we are gone, sometimes there are those feelings that come, you know, that oh, I'd like to call Gary about this. And you can call me, you know, if you want. But the point is that sometimes we feel fearful about what the future holds. Mary Lou and I, we go through, we're going through this too. Uh, it's not all ups, you know. There are moments for us as we're packing, as we're thinking, as we're reflecting, as I'm getting emails from California or phone calls, 
there are those moments where I say, what am I doing? You know, how in the world, uh, why am I doing this? You know, uh, because on the surface, there's so many good reasons not to even bother with this whole thing. You know, uh, when we think about when we've been going through various questions about what do we do with our home? Who are we going to rent it to? How are we going to make sure it's taken care of? What's going to happen with Joel? Where is he going to stay? How does he feel about all of these things? He goes up and down too. And uh, then when I get out there and I'm thinking, okay, now what am I going to speak on? You know, here it's like Justin calls me. I say, I don't know yet, you know, and it's like Saturday night. I'm not sure, and I'm relaxed in that, and that's okay. But out there now I'm thinking, I need to know what I'm doing, and I have yet to figure that one out. You know, and uh, and then I think you know my my jokes and my personality. I tried some out there. Boy, they fell flat. You know, it's that's like a whole different culture. It's a different world. And so I'm thinking, am I really going to be able to communicate effectively to these folks? And it's been like 18 years since I focused in on Jewish people. I mean, I I see myself in the mirror every day, but I know that face. You know, <laughs> but here it's going to be a whole new thing for me again. And uh, so when they, they asked me, they said, are you going to be ready to lead us in some of the Jewish liturgical things? I said, I'm, I'm going to have to get the books out again, you know, and start reviewing that. We had dinner over, when we were out in California, we had dinner with a couple. The wife is Jewish, the husband is Asian. And uh, it was a Friday night, and we're having, they invited us to come over, just a wonderful couple, wonderful family. And... Uh, we're all sort of nervous, right? We're just meeting each other for maybe the second or third time. And so she, uh, on Friday night, we were there. And so Friday night, the Sabbath starts. And so to begin the meal, they had the blessing over the bread and the blessing over the wine. And um, so she said the blessing over the bread. And she was a little, you know, nervous about it and missed some things. So she said, Gary, why don't you say the blessing over the wine? I'm thinking, oh, what is, uh, how does this go again, you know? And I messed it all up. I mean, here I was going, I mean, how simple. Every Passover, it's the same blessing four times for 18 years here. And then, if, if you know, if it was then, it would have went like bingo, you know? But there I'm going through it and Amen. <laughs> you know, and so I figured she didn't know Hebrew, so, so anyway, amen, and, uh, but it was, it, I, I was wrong, you know, so there are nerve-wracking things, you may look at me and say, gee, he looks pretty calm, you know, well, you know, I'm just taking new medication that's, that's helping me, maybe that's it, you know, I am taking <laughs> for my pain, but in any case, you know, it's not like that. And this message is something I have to be reminded of. You know, that we are not our own. And God could call any one of us to do this at any time he so desires. It isn't just Mary Lou and I. Any one of us God could call and say, hey, I want you here. It has something to do with listening to his voice. And as I've said many times over the course of this year, that has been the burning passion for me during this year, is that and it started with the sabbatical, that I could hear God's voice. Because I got to a point where things were very comfortable 
very, you know, everything was in order. And when it came down to it, God talked to me. It was almost like God was saying to me, what do I need to talk to you for? You get everything going well, you know. You don't really need me here. Everything is fine. I didn't really feel that way. But in some sense, there is some truth to that. That if things are stable, you know, uh, that doesn't mean things have to go wrong. It only means to say that we ought never to feel comfortable with where we are at. Because God may have some unique purpose for us. And if our comfortableness keeps us from that, well then consider the blessing that you'll miss. Consider the exciting journey you will miss. Consider the lack of interaction with God you will no longer need or have because everything is fine. And that's what was happening for me to some degree is that, you know, I was looking to hear God's voice. God reminded me of my initial calling when I first invited the Lord into my life in which he said, Gary, you're to bring the good news to your people. I didn't always keep that at the forefront of my mind, and that's not to say that my 18 years here was somehow contrary to what God had for me. When I think about these 18 years, God has done a work in me that he had never done before, and he's changed me. I remember talking with Bill before he passed away, and uh, he would say to me, Gary, I remember when you first came and you got up to speak, and you took out a tome. At that time, I had been reading too much of Jonathan Edwards and how he always wrote out his sermons and just read them, and people swooned under the spirit in the pew. So I figured I should try that. Of course, Jonathan Edwards was probably the most brilliant American ever born, you know, president of Yale University at one time and the spearhead of the of the American Awakening, Great Awakening, or whatever. And I'm taking out my stuff and I'm reading it. And I'm looking at, out at the congregation at the time. And the people were swooning, <laughs> but they were, you know, going into a coma swooning, you know. So uh, Bill was reminding me of that. And he was saying, Gary, you've come a long way. God has done a work in you that has been wonderful. Uh, to observe over these 18 years that we were together. It was very encouraging to hear him <laughs> say that God was doing a work in me. But, um, but the truth of the matter is that God calls, and our response is to say, you know, he says jump, we say how high. He says go, we say where, when, and how. And he says, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. And so the Lord will be with us, but it will be a transition, and it will be a challenge. The people out there are trying to make it as stress-free and as wonderful as possible. There's no doubt about that. But we still have to walk through the paces, and we will. On the other hand, you guys are in the very same, similar situation that we are in, here as a body, as well as in your own personal lives. You want to listen to God's voice with respect to that individual that God is going to call here. You want him to be a person who, number one, 
recognizes this commission that the Lord is preeminent. Not his abilities, not his capabilities, not his heritage, not his past experiences is the almightiness of God preeminent in his mind and in his heart. Does he recognize all authority has been given unto me? Is he concerned for all peoples? Does he desire that all peoples might hear the word and that we would be his witnesses and we would be concerned to bring the lost to faith and those that come to faith deeper in their walk with him? Is he the kind of person who recognizes the importance of the word of God and it shows not only in his life but in his attitude toward it and his devotion to it? Is he a real student of the word and loves to ponder its meaning and scrutinize its teachings and to unfold it time and time again? Is he one who has a real sense that God is with me and I'm coming because he's called me, not because I need a job, not because I have what it takes to make it happen, but I'm here because this is where God wants me to be. That's the kind of person you want to take this body to the next place God has for it. And I guarantee you it's going to be extremely exciting, challenging, but also exciting. And I will not be surprised if after that pastor comes and he's here a couple of years, whatever it is, this place is going to be overflowing with individuals from the community and outside who are going to be worshipers of God and ones who are taught to walk with him. The Lord has great things in store. We've just laid a foundation for a great ministry to flourish from that you and I don't even have a clue about yet. And when it happens, we'll look back and we'll say, look what God has done and look whom he has used to have it. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Gary of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I hope it was a blessing and encouragement to you. Our church, New Hope Chapel, is located in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis. So if you're ever visiting in our area, please come by, say hello, and visit with us. We'd love to have you. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org on the web. So we hope to see you soon. God bless.